Welcome to episode 38 of Expanding Beyond. Um, it's been a bit of a longer break, a bit uh, unintentional, I guess. Uh, but then Monica went somewhere for, for Christmas and the holidays yeah, I and I went and yeah, I guess <laughs> sometimes we have just have to, to have a break and then we can continue and not just stop forever. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was, uh, as much as I enjoy doing this, I, I think I really needed some break completely from thinking about work. So the only thing I did, uh, during those couple of weeks was, uh, either eating or, uh, I mean, I was back home, so. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, or uh, writing some advent of code puzzles or reading. And uh, that was it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even take a computer with me. Oh, you're a brave one. Yeah. Sort of. I'm, I'm being sort of, I'm trying to cut back a bit. So I try mm -hmm. to turn off the computer after work. Doesn't always work. <laughs> But sometimes I sort of try to reduce the time on the computer these days. Mm -hmm. Instead, I read a 900-page book. That's nice. Also nice. That's that's an impressive feat, 900 pages. I mean, it was just fantasy. So it's what no, nothing super complicated. So just Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's the Silmarillion, then no, yeah. Just, <laughs> just Ursula... Uh, Le Guin, the, Le Guin. Yeah. the Earth Sea books, basically all in one volume. Ah, yeah, you told me. Yeah, I associate her with uh, sci-fi, so I I need to actually read that. It's one of the classics that I've never read on about fantasy. So. Yeah, it's it's uh, and now we're becoming a book podcast. Yeah, it, it has a bit of a different take than your standard. Hey, here's your male hero fighting against the dark evil which is basically 99% of all fantasy books it's like normal people and there's there's actually women <laughs> in the books and stuff like that amazing it's amazing isn't it yeah. are you telling me that there's that possibility to yeah. have female characters that yes. actually do yeah. something yes exactly and, and so, sort of there was a third there were the, i think the first three and then there was a like long break and you can sort of tell and that the others are going even more into that direction mm -hmm. it was kind of refreshing uh, now i'm i'm very curious because uh, what i read of her uh, of her work is this uh it's a short book actually it's a short novel uh on um this ambassador that goes to i mean it's not set on earth these are different two different races like literally two different kind of beings um, mm -hmm. living on the same planet. Uh, this one becomes an ambassador to the other um, people, uh, to the other race, and they are extremely different in the way they talk and so on. And one of these two uh, is actually kind of like an hermaphrodite. I don't, I don't know if that's the in, uh, in English word. I, I yeah, think it's something like... Yeah, yep. thank you. That's the pronunciation. And uh, so there, there's... This interesting way of seeing things like these are not, th there's nothing really sexualized about this culture. It's um, just humans um, in a way. And the way she writes, that's the most impressive thing for me. Like the way she writes changes with how deep into the new culture this ambassador goes. So you have very different, like you literally change perspective while reading the book. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. 
at first I was kind of like bored by it, but then at the end I was like, no, I don't want this to finish. It's just amazing. Uh, so that's great. Highly that's recommended. Great. I can't remember the title for the love of me. I'll I'll post it in the for the notes. But, right. but <laughs> sadly we actually have to go back to work eventually. It's not a book podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have to be the, the other podcast we start eventually. Okay. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh yeah, maybe not, at least for now. <laughs> <laughs> you have too many podcasts. I do, I do. All right, so Let's start with the big topic. So uh, these two weeks of pause where the podcast allowed me to go back to work and actually have something to talk about. So one of the things we're experiencing right now is, you know, like as a company and by the fact, by the sheer fact that we're growing so much and we have uh, such bold ambitions is that we have too many things that we would like to do. And it's not only on the product side or on the business side that we have a huge appetite, but because there are certain requirements, you know, like that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, you get uh, needs from your customers that as an engineering team are the product people, the business people, the customer support people and so on. And based on those requirements, we're figuring out that what we need to sustain that kind of business and that kind of product development is not what we have, but we have so many things that we would need to to do that even if we're growing in size as, as an engineering organization, we cannot sustain so many projects at once. Mm-hmm. Like people's attention gets diverted. There is little momentum. It's, it's even hard to, you know, like to find a slot in someone's calendar. Like everybody is so busy. And this sometimes means that also people that need to be involved or would like to be involved, and this is a little bit about change management too, uh, cannot or won't or people forget. Um, and we just make so little progress because we have so many fronts. So my... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that already really, really rings true. Um, this had been has been like historically also been a thing in my company. I guess in most companies there's like many things that are so important and then they get started and then you end up with things that aren't really finished. Yeah. So that we are also trying to or part of the organization is finally trying to make a push for saying, Hey, let's actually finish stuff first before we exactly. start something new. Exactly. Um, so there's a reason why, uh, in a way or another, agile in particular puts limits to your work in progress. It can, it can do it formally with, um, you know, like in, in scrum, you have the planning session and it's like, okay, and this is what we're going to do and nothing else goes in. And that's a way of enforcing a whip limit to the things you can do. That's why Kanban is basically worthless if you don't put a whip uh, limit on the, let's call it the different columns, but, you know, it's like the different phases. Yep. Uh, it's like the idea is to focus as much as possible into not only starting things, but doing th- them, like bringing them to an end. The first thing that is currently happening here is actually that we're trying to, ma- to even make the things visible that are ongoing. Exactly. That's another very important thing because it's, it's 
I mean, I see it like the only way I was able to actually start feeling progress on what I am doing on a daily basis is put stuff on my calendar because otherwise I, I don't have anything else that can, that can help me with the kind of visualization. I, I tried to do lists. They don't work for me. So there is, um, like you need also to show that, uh, that progress and Let's be frank. There is a reason why we want uh, change and we want OKRs, for example, to be uh, transparent and present in, in people's mind because that communicates what is important and what is not for the company. And this is the same, uh, the same case. What is important for the team? What do you want to, uh, to tackle first? Yeah, and also not only the team, but sort of for the whole department, right? Yes. Because sort of what's happening here, sort of we are for better or for worse, a company that uses Jira <laughs> and sort of what ended up happening, what the decision was there that to have a big, big board for the mm. epics basically. Yeah. And then to say, hey, this, these epics, they are currently in progress and you can see which teams they are, or these are uh, epics that sort of are in various stages, even before where product management is looking into, is this something we want to do? What is the impact? What What's the um, effort and stuff like that to sort of at least visualize how many things are ongoing and to sort of bring a bit of a structure into it and to say, hey, we don't just start anything because the CEO said, said so and it is a, he thinks it's a good idea, but we actually want to spend some upfront time on various things and sort of formalize it a bit in saying, hey, someone needs to look into this and figure out if this really is something that can help the company grow. Yes, like that. that's the whole point. I mean, we're, we should be here to um, do what benefits the company. And if we don't, are, if we're not conscious about what, what we are doing, it's very easy for humans, you know, it's just human and, and that's fine. You know, it's like there's a there's a high barrier I cannot overcome or I feel I cannot overcome it and and then switch to something else that looks like it's easier. But then you have all these things that are half done and and you don't reap the benefits. There's there's also another benefit to it, uh, in my opinion, like to, to keep looking at these things in this way. It's that if you have it forces you to reconsider over time if it's still appropriate to continue putting money, time, people on, on that, uh, on that topic, because it's yeah. very easy, you know, like to, to have this, you know, fear of, um, I mean, you, you have invested already, uh, time and money on, on this topic and, and it's like, but, but then it's going to all go to waste, uh, sunken cost. That's what I was yeah. looking for. And that is one of the, apparently one of the worst criteria that you can use for taking strategic decisions. And I'm, I'm not the one saying that it's literally people that have studied strategy for years and are experts in, in that, uh, in that field. Yeah. Uh, and, and this forces you to reconsider. It's like, is this still rele relevant for us over time? Furthermore, this is something that my former boss, uh, taught me. Like this was one of the first questions you would ask when someone wanted to start something. It's like, okay, what is, how do we know this is successful? What are the success criteria for this thing? 
Because only if we know what is going to look like it's ended, what we have gained out of it, then while we review the project, we know that we have actually reached it. Yeah, that is uh, true. Uh, and, and over time, you have to keep asking the question, uh, will, are we closer to success than we were before? I mean, I know it's, uh, again, whenever I say these things, it feels like, duh. Uh, like, but, uh, yeah, but it's very, very easy to, in, in, in sort of in the heat of the moment, to just forget and just yeah. move on and do stuff instead of pausing and re-evaluating stuff. That's true. So exactly for all these reasons, my new boss, that is starting to be not so new since it's almost seven months now, um, <laughs> uh, has taken an executive decision and uh, has uh, proposed to use uh, design docs. What I really like about his proposal is, beside all the bells and whistles, and I'm going to talk about them in a, in a couple of seconds, uh, is the fact that for him, the most important question that these documents will help to answer is, do we really have this problem? Mm-hmm. And this is something that I uh, that I read recently a couple of days ago about um, strategic thinkers. In general, they go back to the drawing board and it's like, do I really have this problem? Is this really an issue? Mm-hmm. And because it's easy, you know, it's like the, you have something that it's it sounds like a good idea, but again, it's not the most valuable thing you can do right now with that time and your attention and and your resources. Um, so that that's the the first thing he wants to have before anything else he wants to have for each of the initiatives that we have collected and we will be collecting because it's a, a it's like a backlog you know it's like it's always growing he wants to have a problem statement written as a question how can we blah 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 solve this pain point here mm-hmm. um I can give one practical example, like, as I said, multiple times now, we are going to multiple geographies. We have multiple conditions for which we want to treat uh, different kind of patients. We, uh, we do have A-B tests, for example. Uh, we do have a um, bunch of other conditions that in our code, they all look like an if-else here and there. And of course, this is uh, starting to um, make us uh, slow. This is exactly the problem statement, or, I mean, more articulated, this is just a couple of lines, but uh, you get what I mean. Yep. This is exactly why our one of our Android engineer has um, uh, started writing some documentation about what, what he thinks are potential alternatives and uh, uh, solutions to the current situation we have. We have one code base, that's a monorepo, blah, blah, blah. But uh, what if we move to have a modular architecture in the in our mobile platforms? Mm-hmm. So, what the second thing that I think it's very valuable is that he spent my my manager spent some time in uh, providing a, an example of a so a template uh, for us to use, so that it's clear that uh, I mean you know like this is basically the framework of of the whole thing. It's like. Um, there's an author, this is someone that doesn't have to be the one that actually writes the document in the sense, in the pure sense, uh, they will, but they won't be the the only one uh, that will come up with the idea. So they are author in writing uh, and in driving 
the conversation forward, but they are not the one necessarily actively writing the solution to this problem. Then uh, there are reviewers, and these are people that are going to be there to, you know, polish the idea, poke holes uh, in it so that it gets better. And then there are the deciders that I think a lot of people either forget because they want to forget or they just forget because that's, again, it's human. I say that they tend to forget because they want to. It's because, again, it's easy to think that because you are the the driver, you are the one that has to pick the solution. But I think that that particular uh, item uh, makes it clear. That's what, what my manager said is like, these are your customers. So in the end, what you have to think is about how to make them happy, not you. And that was, it's it's very simple, but it's, you know, like kind of like role play. It's like, and then it's just like, of course, of course. So for example, we have this, um, I mean, everybody has something like this. We are currently rethinking our branching strategy because it's really complex for our DevOps team to handle with, you know, all these variables I was talking about. We have different environments, of course. So there's also that. So we have multiple branches. Each one of them are coming from master, but each one of them is deployed. And and it's it's a live and actually existing um repo so you have to think all the all the different conditions that we want to treat so this is only one product all the different environments staging dev production pre-production blah 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 and then all the geographies for now we only have two geographies Mm -hmm. who knows what we're gonna have in the future so they want to solve this problem for themselves because of course it's making their life hell like they don't know what is belonging to what, uh, what are the different configuration. Uh, it's it's really complicated. And they have one of the example they were making is like, we need to have experts on the backend that we can access whenever we need. There might be times in which we are trying to deploy something and that just won't work. Like the tests are not running because maybe there is a code missing because it's hidden by a flag and we don't know where it is. Okay, so you and, have this distinction between yeah. ops and developers. Yes, at the moment we do. Uh, we are starting to man or to staff our DevOps team with also experts in the specific platforms. So, for example, we started with having someone that has uh, that is a backend engineer, but also want to have more of a DevOps expertise, but it's not so simple like right now our our expert in uh, in the web uh, platform is someone that uh, has recently become a senior engineering manager how long can you rely on someone that has so many other duties to also be the one that is the liaison between the platform and the devops team uh, on on specific issues like mm. um yeah here for us uh, the devops or sre team is basically just they're doing the groundwork and they're, then they're basically porting the teams and getting their stuff mm-hmm. up and running and deployed. Yeah, I mean, right now, ideally, that's also the the end picture that we would like to, to reach. But we're coming from a situation where this wasn't the case in the past. So uh, it's, a, it's a transitioning yeah. phase and, you know, it's like, again, growing veins. That does sound similar to what we are doing mm-hmm. and our system in our 
company, uh, we've adopted the name. ADR stands for Architecture Design Record. Decision Record. Decision Record. Yeah. And sort of, I think that sort of also describes the other half pretty well, yep. is that you want to have a record of why something was decided in a way, right? Yes. Because oftentimes something gets decided and then a few years later you come back and say, hey, this is painful for us, but we don't know if we can change it <laughs> because we don't know why it was made that way. Yeah. And this is coming up again and again, and it would just be very nice if you had actually some documentation later on to say, to, to go back and say, hey, yes, this is how, why this was decided, but factors have changed now. And that's why we think that's not valid anymore. And as these are basically the reasons we can sort of say we, we go in a different direction now. Uh, there, I have to say that it's in my, probably it's because we, as Kaya, we are forced to do this um, by the fact that we need to have a quality management system. So we have to record certain decisions uh, in any case. But I have to say that in my experience, limited so far, but uh, I mean, substantial since it's seven months, the teams themselves, so the product squads, that's how we call them, are actually quite disciplined in documenting their own decisions. Uh, not only from a product perspective, but also from a technical perspective. Like there's plenty of Confluence pages where you can go and find the thought process around uh, around something. And this is how we have implemented. This is uh, how the, like you can imagine uh, designs and graphs and so on. That's impressive. Um, <laughs> yes, it <laughs> because is. Because I'm it not is. used to that. And that's also something that was never really done here. And this is sort of, the other cultural change where we try to, mm -hmm. yes, ADRs are oftentimes meant to be cross uh, team, mm -hmm. but it's also very useful to use this inside of a team to yeah. uh, record and maybe even just have a have a thing to coalesce around and discuss a certain topic. And there, I, I can say, this, we always talk about one team as if this team is, you know, long living, eternal and... Uh, constant in its uh, composition. But I can make a very simple example. Uh, my previous company, I started working in, in a product team and I finished as an engineering manager in the same team. And over the span of four years, all the team member changed. Mm -hmm. All of them. The topic the team was uh, tackling over time was also different. And a lot of the people that were at the very beginning in that team moved to other companies at some point. So, you know, like the team is something that might be long living. This is a team that has lasted for five years, but over time it became something completely different. So also those records, like it's like, oh, we're we are colleagues, we're here, we know. It's like, you're not going to be here forever. It's like very, very, very likely. Uh, it's like you're an average job. You're not that fundamental. I mean, that, that's basically was one of the reasons why they, I mean, of course, only part of the reason why they wanted to have me back. Because I was about to say, because like, don't, I don't had, sell you short. I am basically <laughs> rewriting stuff I wrote six years ago now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I can still remember some of it, at least. So, yeah, uh, there's that. Uh, and as you as you said, like the, the purpose of this uh, of this initiative is that of making sure that we we are 
disciplined enough to uh, not only, you know, compile a document, because in the end, that's also not that particularly cumbersome, but we are disciplined enough to look at all the problems that we have and start tackling them one by one. Because right now we're spending so much energy on so many fronts that we're making very little progress on any of them. As I said, like there's plenty of people that would like or have to be involved and sometimes they are not. And that doesn't help thinking about in, in a very economic terms. That doesn't help with, you know, removing friction in the system. So uh, if you want to have a smooth change process, uh, you want to change things smoothly, you have to make sure that the right people are at least informed, that they are involved in the conversation, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes this doesn't mean that their opinion has to go in, like it's their opinion, uh, but at least they are they are consulted and they're involved. And sometimes, I mean, there's a reason why they are the experts or or are supposed to be involved in that decision process, um, because without them, you're missing pieces, uh, etc. But so these documents are there for supporting us in addressing uh, cross team initiatives or initiatives that are going to affect multiple teams just by just by being there. We <laughs> my team recently because we had to introduce for legal reasons in the states is not necessary, but in Europe it is. A, a way for people to say if they want to be logged in constantly or not. Uh, because that requires, of course, uh, you to observe someone over their internet and device activity. So for the German law, but also the European law, requires you to give that kind of option to, to the user. For doing that, we, we have introduced something that was a quick and dirty solution. I mean, I wouldn't call it even that dirty, but it was posing some then user experience problems because it wasn't exactly working as intended, etc. Uh, so we went back to the drawing board and one of the best engineers in my team came up with a, a very good proposal. But then the whole product had to change. So it's not only our team that is changing something in our small corner, but this is something and then from now on, everybody has to use. Mm -hmm. So. This introduction at a global level and uh, across teams, it would have been probably nice to, I mean, I know that this engineer consulted the right people. He already, I mean, he's experienced and and, and uh, he he knows uh, what, what needs to be done. But what if this wouldn't have happened? It's very easy then to hinder the work of other, of other teams. And uh, people are not happy when they have to fight against... Uh, yeah something that should actually help them. Yes. So, so the more I think about it, we actually, we, we sort of have sort of a structure like that in on sort of on two levels, right? There's, there's this really ADR stuff is more or less technical stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, do we want to have an event bus and what it's going to be and like a big decision like that and stuff or something that affects a team, even only a team or two teams or something like that. Uh, but in the end, similarly, you also want to have a process that ticks all the boxes and talk, yeah. finds the right people on the product side, right? When you have a something st started there, right? Yes. And it is sort of, I guess they're a bit different because on the one hand, you have a very technical thing. So you're mainly involved developers. 
And then on the other hand, you have this wider circle of saying, hey, we have these new features we want to build. Mm-hmm. Who is uh, who is needs to be involved there? Yes. So there's that. What I also like about the way we are introducing this uh, this initiative is the fact that on purpose, both the process and by the process, I'm, I'm on purpose using a big word, but it's actually not. And the template provided are very lightweighted. Mm-hmm. So the idea is every week we have this, uh, basically it's a backlog of things uh, on the document that we keep filling with uh, links to the design documents. That's what is going to happen. And uh, we will review them, but the idea is to review them in the span of two weeks at mm-hmm. most. So it has it's supposed to be a lightweight process. It's supposed to be fast. And on purpose, it has been sketched as that vaguely because we don't know yet what we need. And this is, again... Yeah. One of the learnings from from uh, Agile, start or lean even, even more with lean. Start small. You don't need everything because you don't know what you need. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. So, and, and over time, there will be adjustment because again, it, it, or again, uh, actually, it's, uh, it's more, I had this conversation uh, for, for um, during a, a one-on-one with one of the engineers in my team. It's like, this is someone that we would like to develop in, in a more uh, informal leadership position. It's like, but how do you measure the engagement of a team? How do you measure this? And I was like, it's humans. It's just fuzzy. You can't very much. Like maybe you can measure something, but that's a proxy measurement. It's not really that exact. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah there's, uh, there's also this, it's a, it's a human process. So we also don't know exactly what, what we're going to need there, uh, because we don't know how people are going to react to it. So this is one aspect. The other one is that, uh, the template itself is, has a few sections that, that you might. So there are, there are a couple of two sections that you have to fill in, but then there's the, um, even the solution doesn't have to be filled in already when you present the initiative. It's like, I know there's this problem. I know these are the people we need to talk and these are the goals and the non-goals that we want to uh, achieve and avoid. Because, you know, it's like, especially when you talk about big projects, like, oh, let's also add this. What? How long it might take? So easy. But yeah, no, that's not the goal. There, You have one goal. Try to keep it to one goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I, I, I think that it's useful to have this concept of non-goals uh, because they make it a clear statement that that's, that, nah, we're not talking about that. Stop it. But as I said, even the solution is not supposed to be there at the very beginning. And you can provide alternatives if you want, uh, but you don't have to. Very likely people will want alternatives. But yeah, so it forces this kind of conversation to um, to happen. So I'm I'm very glad that, that we have introduce this i hope it's going to be as successful as i think it will be but uh it's going to be interesting to see how the organization and we as as an engineering department react to it how actually faster are we going to be with uh with this yeah i i would also hope that this is actually helping in on the one hand reminding everyone that you have to have the conversation so just Mm -hmm. as a reminder of hey don't just do something, but figure out who you need to talk to about it. And then there was a second point and I forgot it. But anyway, 
you will remember it. I will remember. <laughs> like me at the very end of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it seems like we are, as companies, uh, or the companies we work in are sort of in a similar position where the the engineering department is growing fast and you need to start having some level of process to facilitate yeah. the communication and make it easier for everyone who needs to be involved to actually be involved from the beginning in projects. I mean, if you think about it, it's nothing new, frankly. It's just a phase in the growth of a company or, or you know, like a, a group of human beings. You reach a size in which knowing each other is not enough anymore. And if you want to be something long lasting, I mean, we learned this as humans by now, like thousands of years ago, I think tens of thousands of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, we started writing things. We started writing history to remember. That's the mm -hmm. whole point. That's, that's what it's. Uh, so it, it's not surprising that uh, when you reach a certain, uh, a certain size of a group, you need to have this. And, and when you reach um, a certain length in time, time span in the life of a company, of a group of people, uh, you have to have this artifact. I was reading some time ago this, uh, this other article that's clearly stated that by some research, I, I can't remember for, for the love of me, but uh, companies, the, the, so human structure starts uh, to break down at a certain number is not exactly the number number. Uh, it's it's not a it's not a joke. It's that's that's how it's called by the guy that that came up with it. Has also been I think demystified to some extent, but whatever. But in any case, it's you can tell that there's a certain size by which a, a group loses its identity as a group. There was a sentence that was saying, like, when when uh, companies are so big, you need to break that company into fundamentally sub companies, mm -hmm. and each one of them will have their culture, will have their uh, their own things. Yes, they are all inflections of the mother, the mothership, but uh, they will have a distinct uh, identity. And writing things down, it's one way of crystallizing that that identity the other thing that's currently happening is is that we're even breaking the engineering uh department down into multiple oh. parts because i think we are now at around seven eight teams or something and it's there were some global meetings right and mm -hmm. like showing off uh so, some kind of sprint demo type meeting and of course that's getting a bit silly if you present stuff from seven or eight teams <laughs> yeah and it's not not super valuable then for the, the people from other departments to actually go and look at everything and then there's time pressure and people don't feel they can ask questions exactly so we are actually now we are just now starting to do that where we basically break it down to uh, what what they call domains mm -hmm. and it's like two two teams per domain basically and then yeah. we're trying to have some specialized meetings that are sort of domain specific and say hey for this domain we do a kickoff and then there's these certain people from other departments basically assigned to certain domains to so, sort of be better integrated mm -hmm. let's see how that goes um 
currently it seems like the the teams were a bit randomly <laughs> put <Thanks>. into domains <laughs> i'm not entirely sure not convinced uh what will come out of it but who knows i mean there there isn't that much collaboration between the teams currently so maybe this actually helps in saying at least with the other team in your domain you're sort of better at sharing the knowledge because it's easier to actually know the people on the other absolutely team. absolutely so. I remember that. one of the big changes we did at Freeletics was so before when I joined or after I joined actually because we didn't have exactly uh, cross-functional teams back then. But so after a while we started having cross-functional teams and you know like agile being agile, let's have sprint reviews, right? So each team was giving this review a small room where all the stakeholders uh, would be there. We are talking about head of product and whatnot. And this was really like driven from a feature perspective. It's like, okay, we're putting this out and this is how it works, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, like the usual demo. Mm -hmm. But then teams started to be uh, a little bit too big. It was, in my opinion, it was obvious that uh, for the way we were working, that's not exactly what Chrome prescribes, but whatever. For the way we were working, that feedback was coming too late in mm -hmm. any case. And therefore, we decided to move to a different format. We also started to have multiple teams that were shipping actually a lot. So uh, it's like we can't have, and, and we had to have this at the end of the sprint. You have five teams. You have maybe one hour sprint review each. And this means that more than <laughs> half a day of you know air quotes C level people, so big stakeholders, is taken by this this review. So the, the value that we were getting out of sprint reviews was little, but we still wanted to show what the teams were doing and communicate that across the org. Because, of course, the org was also getting bigger and there's people that are not involved strictly in product development, but they need to know those things. Imagine customer support or it's like if you want to have those a little bit again in the people space, if you want to have a company that is engaged, you have to have their em the employees to know what they are representing. What is the company doing? What what is putting out there? Is that's in in the world we live in? I'm talking the uh, software engineering, software uh, development world uh, of of today. You want to have employees that are engaged because it's proven that they are more they're. Net promoters, so this means that your for com your company is uh, easier to hire, it's uh, easier to retain, and they are advocates. So you have free PR everywhere you go. Plus, they serve better their own customers, be it sales, be it uh, again customers and users, whatnot. So we still wanted to have this, so we transformed the sprint review into we called it product review, mm -hmm. and I really like the format. Because each team was, yes, presenting a feature, let's say, but this was something that was really hitting production. And it was always integrated with the outcome. It's like, or we were presenting, for example, also um, results of experiments, A-B tests or user testing. It's like, uh, so this is what we're doing. This is how it's impacting the, the, the goals, the, the, the company goals. So it was a very nice format, but I what what made me think about this is um, the what you said about you know it's like time constraint. You start to have five teams; that's a lot of time that is needed. 
yeah. for each team. So we had to keep it under like three minutes or so to to have something that was, I mean, not completely overwhelming for people attending this meeting. <laughs> and but then the more teams you have, the smaller the the time they can dedicate to this. And it was starting to feel like a rush towards it's like, oh, I have to say something. It's like, you know, like uh, the the ads for, for um, I don't know, like uh, medicines. It's like when yeah. at the very end they speak very fast. It's like, okay, how how am I going to say this? So there, there was that. So breaking down in domains actually makes sense, uh, I think. As long as this is, again, a problem of scale, as long as you have uh, some sort of then recap for the the people at the layer on top that uh, have to have a bigger picture. But then again, the detail gets uh, gets uh, smaller. Like you don't need so many details about knowing that this team in this couple of weeks has shipped a new screen. Like, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. On the other hand, there still is like, from a quote, perspective those domains don't yet make sense mm -hmm. at all because there, there still is this big monolith where at least three or four teams have their hands on right there's this one team that is doing a lot uh -huh. and even though they are fighting against it <laughs> they are basically becoming the basically responsible team for that big thing it happens and, when you're good at your job even if you don't yeah. like it <laughs> and the others, including my team, we are sort of, yes, we have to touch it sometimes, but we are sort of don't really go in deep. We try to stay at the upper layers and say, hey, mm -hmm. we need this additional endpoint. We write it ourselves and stuff like that. We have to see how that goes, because if you break it up into domains, then sort of the collaboration there is going to be maybe harder. That said, there wasn't much collaboration going on as it stands so it's um, probably not getting worse <laughs> yeah but i don't know i mean there's that for sure um but there's also this uh hard fact of life that i learned a little bit over the past um couple of uh years it's that everything is a trade-off like yeah. there there's no way of having the cake and eat it too it's uh yeah it's it's like going back to lean right you you pick yeah. something and you try it and then you see how it goes and then we re evaluate after a while and see yes what needs to change yeah anyway so uh we have two other topics on the list but i guess yes. <laughs> we are not going to cover them this time they will be for another time it will be for another time which is great so we have stuff to talk about yes so uh monica what was the last question yes where can people find you on the internet <laughs> So you can find me on Twitter. If you if you love yourself, don't follow me in the next in two weeks from now because I'm gonna start tweeting about uh, this Italian song festival. And uh, it's if you don't speak Italian, it might not be that fun for you. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You just skip messages uh, exactly. that are in Italian and sort of. That's, yes, that's, okay. and I try to tag them so you get exclusive tag. Um, <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter at uh, kfmolly with an I. You can find me on my uh, website monicag.me, and you can find me um, across the internet, most often than not, as a near night. Think about uh, GitHub. And uh, so there's that. What about you? Uh, you can also find me at, on Twitter as ujh. Currently, I'm not really posting. I'm just. 
I don't know what it is about this username. I'm just being spammed currently. Oh, really? <laughs> a lot. So <laughs> mainly my time on Twitter is spent on um, reporting spam tweets. And that is mainly where you can find me. Uh, recent, since, since a while, you can also find me in the lead dev Slack, which oh. I find out you are also a member of. Yes. Uh, it's uh, not currently on my uh, on my Slack on my new laptop, but uh, since we're there, I'll revive it. And that is it. Um, you can find uh, the podcast at expandingbeyond.it. Uh, you can also email us uh, with your feedback and questions to an email address I have forgotten. Posts at expandingbeyond.it. I think otherwise you can look it up in the show notes. And that's it. Uh, it would be great if you could give us uh, some ratings or reviews on your yes, podcasting please. platform or just tell a friend how great this podcast is or how horrible, depending on if you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Monica, for this nice conversation. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.